Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Welcome back everyone to the Fighting on Film podcast. Now today we're away from the cinema queue. we turn off our streaming platforms and we button up our DPM jackets and step back to the early 80s and we take a look at two British Army of the Rhine training films and we are joined with a special guest Dr Kenton White who's a historian and lecturer at the University of Reading and he's just about to release a book about NATO's defence strategy called Never Ready. Welcome to the show Kenton. Thank you very much, nice to see you. Thrilled to have you here. So listeners of last week's show uh, we'll remember that we were asked if me and Matt could have made a film um, with no budget, you know, and, and if it didn't matter if it was a flop or not, we would have chosen a film uh, to make a film about the BAOR fighting the, the third shock army in the Rhine. Um, so we're just super excited to be able to get into these two films. And, and what are the films, Matt? The films are um, Soviet Encounter and Fighting in Woods. It's, we've cherry-picked two of the best of the period. Uh, because there's quite a few, isn't there? There's there's mm. um, there's a whole plethora of these British Army training films made in the late seventies, early eighties. You've got um, films like Demolition Guard, uh, Troop Tactics, Fighting in Villages, um, which is the companion piece, Sappers in Support, An Unthinking Moment, It Could Be You, and Recce Patrol. Lots of these different things, and they all give this sort of really interesting insights into how individual elements and units within the BAOR, the British Army on the right, would have fought if the Cold War had gone hot in, in Northern Germany. So me and Rob have been excited to do this one because it's one of the first things we actually spoke about when we first started doing the pod, isn't it, Rob? Yeah. And is. we've been thinking, well, it'd be great to do a look at some of these training films, but we need a guest that has a little bit more insight than we do. Um, so we were absolutely overjoyed when we, um, when we found out about uh, Kenton. We're so pleased to have you on. I mean, it, should we just jump in with... with 
with some of these and we can talk about the backgrounds and yeah let's sure. do that yeah sure yeah. yeah or did you want to just plug the book quick <laughs> well the book is really a description of uh, the limitations that the british armed forces were struggling under from sort of 67 onwards when nato tried to move away from massive retaliation the 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 use of every single nuclear weapon it had got in response to any kind of aggression right and the idea was to move towards a a conventional defense of western europe um but nobody was prepared to stump up the cash that that needed uh and and i know we hear a lot about the cost of nuclear weapons but when you've got half a dozen nuclear weapons that do the job of half a million men you know there's a, there's an obvious payoff um but it was it was the policy of the time to have uh high level conventional forces which were meant to defeat any kind of soviet attack across the inner german border or into norway anything like that but as i said that's expensive very mm. very expensive uh and i think one of the things that is reflected in both of the films is that all we see are mechanized troops so we are seeing the tip of the spear we don't yeah, get absolutely. to see the reservists that are coming out in um old webbing like and, and saxtons and apcs yeah, and yeah. things yeah or, or just all piled into the back of a bedford four tonner that's an early Bedford mention, by the way. That's how I'm, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. We absolutely no, we did all the Bedford on the show. It's great. Love it. Bedford mention. <laughs> Fantastic, though. It's great. No, no, brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, I'd like, I would love to see Fighting on Woods, but with a, a section from the TA. That would be great, actually. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, yeah. that'd be something. Wooden, wooden stock SLRs. Oh, yes. Piling out of a section. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ster- a couple of Sterling submachine guns, that kind of thing. A, f- a friend of mine was in the TA and uh, he went on exercise in Germany and they were charging a Soviet defended hill. And he said it wasn't until he got to the top and the umpire came around and tagged them all with uh, red chalk crosses that he realised that they'd all been killed. And that was yeah. it. That Their yeah. day was finished. Wow. Mm, that sort of puts it into perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> it? It does a bit, yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's something that when you watch these two films, which are both available on on YouTube, by the way, you watch them and you think, "Wow, these lads are very competent. They're very capable. They're well trained. Uh, they're well equipped." Mm. Um, both films have no less than three different types of anti tank weapon in them, um, yes. not counting mines. Um, so they're extremely well equipped. But then they, the the introductions of them always talk about we're defending in depth. And it's always about shoot and scoot, and they're they're fighting in section ambushes, and they're retiring mm. back and back and back. You you have to wonder how long could could NATO forces, British NATO forces, keep that up? Because that plays into what I've read that you've written, Kenton, in various articles, etc. And I think it's the crux of your book, isn't it? Where it's the sustainability of you know that kind of attritional warfare is is not something that the, the British Army was actually probably going to be capable of well the whole idea of of the the sponge tactics uh the doctrine of of defense in depth was the profligate use of anti-tank weapons machine guns but you had to have Mm. them in quantity massive massive numbers 
and it's all very well having a, a really expensive uh, anti-tank missile launcher. But if you run out of missiles after the first hour of fighting, well, it's mm. it's just an expensive piece of metal that you then have to carry around if you want the chance of destroying another tank on the off chance that you might find some missiles. This is the problem, and not just the Army, but the Air Force, Navy as well, the TA, the Home Defence, you name it. Lots of clever ideas, lots of really good equipment, but almost no uh, backup. The logistics were poor, lack of ammunition, uh, and it wouldn't really matter what the Soviets ended up with if you didn't have anything to shoot back at them, if they got a T-55, well, they win. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's that simple. Um, if, if the Soviets want to fight an attritional war, they win because we run out of ammunition first. Simple. Mm. I hate to be the bearer of yeah. bad news. Don't, no, I mean, of course, you know, you can't argue with the facts, can you? So I think, you know, it's <laughs> a bit of a downer, Matt. I wouldn't win if we did the film. Um, <laughs> well, this is it. That was one of the things that Rob was going to ask. Like, you know, yeah. on a on a man to man basis, how would the British soldier fare against you know the Soviets? I I guess now is a, a a good point to sort of get into into these two films which we've we've chosen. Of course. So a bit of background. They're produced by by the British Army's in house um, production company SSVC. They they grew up from um, the uh, the SKC, which was the Services uh, Cinema Corporation, uh, which was established during the war and it evolved um, through. And then in 1982, it became SSVC, which is now the British um, Forces Broadcasting Service. That's it, yeah. So they, they were responsible for making these training films and they worked with independent production companies of various different people. Fighting in Woods was made by RHR Productions. Soviet Encounter was made by uh, Worldwide Pictures Limited, who are still in business, actually. Quite yeah. quite uh, successful, actually. So, obviously, these were made for soldiers, and they were made to sort of aid training. They show scenarios and make sense of, if you've been in, you know, in, in the field, training how to dig um, a slit trench and, and pad it out with Wrigley Tin and, and sandbag it and all of this, you're like, well, why am I doing this? the film sort of gives you a bit of an you know inclination yeah. of why you're doing it you know you're putting two laser handbags on top of your your slit trench so the, so the soviet artillery doesn't doesn't get you so yeah. they're all really important in giving i, I think it, it, they gave soldiers like an idea of the scenario in which a war could begin and then what they would be expected to do and what all the units would be doing mm. alongside just like that it's just adding that context isn't it it's giving mm. that making it more personal i guess what it also does it instructs at the tactical and doctrinal level and it demonstrates why and, and i think you you mentioned overhead cover for your for your slit yeah. trench oh, you know why do i have to do that what's the point and it's what's the point why do i have to do this why do i have to do that well this gives you the overview up to sort of company level yeah so you can see how if you're just a bog standard tom sitting in a, a trench somewhere you can see how that fits in with what the artillery are doing and and what the the forward observers are doing and why they're running around and scuttling between trenches and why you've got overhead cover and why the machine gun sighted there 
So it puts everything into perspective for the individual. And it also means the individuals can see how orders work between units and from commander down to individual soldiers and absolutely yeah feedback then you, you you're getting instructions and information back up the chain i think it's it does it really well it's very clean almost antiseptic in points mm. but it gives you that meshing all the way through so now i think we should probably talk about what fighting in woods and soviet encounter actually deal with so Fighting in Woods was, is the first one we're going to talk about because it was filmed in 1982. Basically, how you defend a wood in, in, in Germany. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, and it takes you from the inception of it, of the, of the men learning that they're going to be digging in um, and the men that are depicted in our 2nd Battalion Grenadier Guards, um, which is quite good because I think in Soviet encounters, you don't really you don't get any names of regiments. No, I don't think you do. No. And it's them from, you know, it says they've got 36 hours to prepare and it shows the sappers coming in. You know, it shows men setting the defences, the barbed wire, the anti-tank traps, things like that. And then it goes from setting up to doing your ambushes to ultimately making the water killing ground in about 19 minutes. That's the synopsis, really. That's the, the elevator pitch level of, of detail there. It brings in this, this idea of, the simple tactical level of how you defend the, the, the rides or the fire breaks in the woods, but it describes the difference between the types of woods as well. Yeah. Um, and, and why you adopt a particular style of defense based on what type of wood you're fighting in. Well, you, you know, if, if you, you come from a town or a city, as many of the soldiers would have done, well, they don't know the difference between one type of tree and another, probably. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not wishing to denigrate anybody at all. But if you don't know what the different types of woods are going to be, having somebody say there's actually a difference and you have to adapt based on that, that's a really important thing to learn. Mm. Uh, and, and naming the fire breaks giving them really simple names that everybody knows and can understand and recognize yeah like cat dog and and such jupiter saturn well everybody knows what those words are they're easily distinguishable and and it means that even under extreme stress at worst they're going to remember simple instructions and i think mm. that's what comes across for me anyway in in that film 100%. And it's, I think as well, like on that note, I think it's the narration as well that make it's very serious and to the point, but it's also quite personable. Like it uses the mm. slang terms like bugging out, things like that. And it goes, you know, when you're making your trenches you know, or your defences, don't worry, there are literally piles of wood for you to use. Yeah. And there's humour in there as well. Like when one of the FV432s gets um, caught out in the, one of the defences, mm. it gets rocketed by a, a, a Soviet trooper and it goes, you know, you might get more than a parking ticket. Yeah, you know, a bit of dark humour. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, they know their audience, don't they? And, and soldiers like that kind of humour. And, and yeah. it's it's the, the narration in it is is one of my favourite aspects of it. It's very business, like it's very soldierly. They've hit the enemy and they hit him hard. Now they're going to shoot and scoop. It's very clear what... And it's very reassuring as well. Mm. So if you're, if you're thinking, if you put yourself into the position of someone who's 
digging a you know a slit trench in some woods in Germany with third shock army down the road coming coming at you, you you want a little bit of reassurance mm. of of in that scenario we could actually you know dig in and hold them off here, yeah. you know because it takes a huge war which would be a global war and mm. constricts it down into what is a, a company combat team level and then it goes down to section level and it's it shows two section ambushes and then it's the company defensive position at the very end of the film yeah. and it it shows them all going through the motions of what they would do and everything that's going to plan but it's also it's also quite interesting that they do show that fv432 um getting hit by an rpg it's the only point in the film where any british troops are implied to be hurt at yes. any point yes i noticed it, that too the the narrations like and that's an entire section the, mm. the, the the company commander's lost an entire section and now he has to, you know, sort of rejig his his defense. The narration throughout is is very sort of to the point, and it's it's similar in 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 a lot of ways to uh, the Soviet encounter narration, but it's a little bit more clipped. It's a bit more straight to it. I think it just I think it, it is tonally because even the ending's quite ominous, and it's it's all for me. Both movies are trying to say way more without saying it. Obviously, they're trying to be so subtle about how mm. they say it. But at the end, you get this nice little montage of of troops in their in their little slit trenches firing at their SLRs at, at oncoming Soviet troops, and it's um, every beat is like never. You see a shot of a guy a shot of a guy shooting an SLR. Never, you know, never gets that. Make sure the enemy never get out alive. Yeah. Well, that's saying way more to me, at least, because it's like you know you have to hold them. You you can do nothing but hold the them here mm. because if you don't. All the men behind you are fucked. It, they know that the guys know that, I guess. In the um, National Army Museum I visited a few weeks ago, you see on the wall they've got a quote, and it's, I can't paraphrasing, but if it's if the Russians cross the border, then we've got 36 hours to live. And it's mm. like, well, you you know, if, if, they're, if, some, if a veteran is saying that at the, at the time, like in, I think it was from the 70s, then the guys must have known that if the Russians cross the border, it's, it's pretty touch and go. Yeah, the bleakness isn't lost, I guess. The lack of an end, a, a firm end of both films, mm. shows that, yes, things are touch and go, but the, def- the whole idea of defence in depth, that you, you, you don't retreat, that you're redeploying, you're pulling back to other prepared positions, that this is reinforced throughout both films. Uh, and I think it is meant to reassure those soldiers who have been told you've got 36 hours to live if if they do come over the border Mm. and say, well, mm, okay, some of you are going to die. That will happen. That's what happens in war. It's sad, but it's true. The rest of you, however, you redeploy back and somebody comes and takes over the line, however it works. There's an attempt at realism in the fact that you see an FV-432 get hit and nobody gets out but there's also that attempt at reassurance you know some of you will survive the battle will go on it's more the the psychological part of of both of the films that doesn't have anything to do with tactics or doctrine or anything like that it's speaking directly to the soldiers 100% there yeah what strikes me about the film is they show the soldiers as being extremely capable and competent where you have a section commander radioing um 
uh, a situation report. And he says, out of 35 Soviets that dismounted and infiltrated through the woods, he he, re- he, he returns to his fixed positions and he, he reports back that he's killed about 30 of them hmm. and knocked out two ACPs, um, which I'm sure they would have been more than capable of doing. But it it does strike you as that they are hoping to to make a dent well above what they are hoping to you know take back in return so to speak mm. well i mean it's a propaganda piece as well isn't it? well it you is it, it, exactly it's yeah. you have to remember again it's made for the made for the soldier isn't it and you yeah, can't have, you can't see them taking massive casualties and and that's not going to help morale no of course but not, one, no. one of the things that made it made me think about was it talks about they have 36 hours to, to dig in in the beginning and the fact that they're 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 causing so many casualties is from what from what you've researched kenton do you think that is accurate do you, do you think that that's based in sort of statistical analysis they've done or is it just an optimistic i think the the style that they've adopted is massively optimistic mm. for for the 70s and 80s simply because they're portraying the the, the soviets as being a very passive enemy Mm. Yeah, they talk about air attack and they talk about artillery and, and tanks and stuff like that. Let's be honest, the, the Soviets wouldn't pussyfoot around if, if they came up against uh, a, a bit of a hard spot. They'd just stick a, a motor rifle regiment or a tank regiment in. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be nine uh, T-55s or whatever it is they're using, but it's going to be... 70, 80 odd T-72s or T-80s yeah. supported yeah. by half a dozen helicopters with an airstrike and probably uh, divisional, maybe even front uh, artillery support. Massive. So not yeah. only are you going to be saturated by enormous amounts of high explosive, while that's happening, they're going to be driving upwards of 100 tanks and uh, God knows how many armoured personnel carriers at you. Yeah. The steamroller effect, then you do get the position where you're defeated in place and the the front line is is punched through. They've, they've got the break-in battle sorted. Then you start thinking up a higher level that the operational manoeuvre groups and the, and the front attacks then rupture the NATO front line and and basically it's it's all over cheery thought well that's it i mean i thought peter watkins is the war game where the the war sort of goes nuclear and the, you get a brief shot of some um i think it's nato forces i think it's either american or british hmm. and he really captures the sort of the chaos of being bombarded by you know massed soviet artillery they're crouched in a trench and it's just the camera's shaking and he, he Obviously, he's, he's captured it really well because it's such a tight shot. But I think they don't really get that across in either of these two films. They they have some hints at you know, Soviet artillery and what, yes. it, what it's going to be capable of. It could you know it could probably level that woods that they're in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when you think about it. But yeah, it's it's just yeah, it's it's very compartmentalized in that it's just showing like this one small. Small, it's almost like it's just taking into account that they're gonna they'll stop like the initial vanguard but when a, a company or battalion sized force comes up there's very little chance of them stopping that with a with a um, like a company sized combat team I think that's what 
the the film is meant to reinforce for the individual soldiers i'm i'm sure it's not meant to reflect what senior officers would expect to happen mm. uh, in the war because that would be a really short film and <laughs> yeah. would be really unpleasant for the troops watching it if you look at the weight of, of Soviet artillery on the Eastern Front in the Second World War, they learned really quickly that if you're going to punch a hole through the enemy, you just saturate their front line with artillery. Yeah. And it works. I guess it boils down to perhaps, you know, they're making these movies and they've got to show with the best intentions what they have and how they're going to use it, I guess. It's sort of show your best bet in an ideal world what you could do. Yes, just because yes. you have to. It's not meant as instruction for for how the British Army will fight the Soviets. This is this is meant to show the soldiers how you fight in a wood. And, yes. and it, I know that sounds obvious. Yeah. And and it is to some extent, but that's that's what it is for. So you're you're seeing the very low level. Uh, tactics because when uh, I go back to my earlier point that, that when the fan has really been hit properly and it's flying around you want really simple instructions and you want to know that when you turn around and run that the armoured personnel carrier is going to be there with the yeah. door open and that you know wild horses will mm. have to intervene to stop you from getting in it yeah I mean the bench, the bench in the FV four three two would be the comfiest chair in the world if I just didn't, <laughs> didn't come out with a T seventy two. So I think this brings us perfectly into a Soviet encounter because where fighting in woods might be about the tactical level, Soviet encounter is a different beast entirely. Matt, would you like to give us a quick run through of Soviet Encounter? Yeah, Soviet Encounter is an interesting one because it's um, it's slightly later. Uh, 83. Yeah, 83. So it begins with sort of a uh, sort of like tactical overview, doesn't it? Do you want, the, do you want it, the narration? Do you want the quote? Go for it. For many years, tension has existed in Europe between the forces of NATO and the Warsaw Pact. With all of these films, it sort of just goes, oh, well, we're at war with the Soviets now and this is what's going to happen. It's something like let's assume for political reasons that uh, an attack from the from the Eastern Bloc has start has happened. That's as much as you get, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And yeah. then we we get a, a tactical overview where it explains um, the the Soviet unit that is going to attack them and their their sort of like force structure. And then it's again the defensive element of 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 the plan, and it's sort of them preparing their positions, and it's. It's kind of like a slightly broader look at an initial defence than fighting in woods, mm. because fighting in woods gives you a look at sort of section up to platoon, a little bit of company, whereas I think Soviet encounter tries to talk about other arms as well. So you know, there's mention of uh, artillery and that sort of thing. Doesn't it? It starts off quite broad, and then it goes. You know, for the purposes of the movie, we're going to view this battle from a British company group. Yeah. It narrows itself down again to, to make it more personable, like fighting in Woodstars. 
but sort of the encounter feels I mean, me and Kenton were talking about this before we started recording but this feels like a culmination of I'll pick some names out you know the demo guards sappers sappers in support um, mm. effects of artillery fire of fighting patrol it, it seems like it's elements from all of those movies finally put into one yeah. more narrative piece of a this is how we stop them because this this movie is the this is how we stop them this is the definite for yeah. me it's a definite takeaway of soviet encounter it's like th- it might be the encounter but this is going to be the index as well the soviets will only accept the loss of momentum when you force it on them is is the yeah. is the narrator's line isn't it and that is that is basically what it is it's how you slow them get them to debus and, and you know you on a man-to-man basis what That's you're going it, to do yeah. at the end of it but I think, as you say, there it, it it sort of takes little bits from a lot of a lot of those other training films. And if you put in parts from those other training films, you would get like a sort of like bumper version of Soviet Encounter, where you would, you'd yeah. have a lot more, you know, context and and, and various different bits. So you, you know, with Wreck-It Patrol, you'd have your preliminary of finding out where they are, and then with Troop Platoon tactics, you'd you'd see how they they would fall back through defensive positions and stuff. It's as if the army, the SSVC films, training films, at least are shot on some sort of fictional broad front. Tappers in support takes place over here. Soviet encounters over here. Fighting in woods is over here. This is the this is your sort of front line. That that kind of narrative sense, that makes sense. It does. I struggled more with with this film than I did the, the fighting in woods. Mm. But for a couple of reasons. It's very, well, it's aimed very much at the individual soldier because it starts off with this thing about um, what the Soviets will try to do to you. Mm, and I was kind it. of expecting him then to say, and what you're going to do to the Soviets, but I don't think he used quite no. those words. They say, like, learn the lessons today, tomorrow could be too late. Yeah, this is becoming very very much about the individual. That's reinforced towards the end where it's all about your trained better you're equipped better than the soviets they're just conscripts so there's this contrast but the the whole bit about um what the soviets will do to you just reminded me of the quote i think it was from lenin that war you may not be interested in war but war is interested in you it it had yeah maybe that's too much of an academic viewpoint but it had that echo to it rightly jingoistic about you're brilliantly trained you've got the best weapons we can give you you will obviously win but this then leads into the second problem that i have with it which is that um this is based on a sudden attack something like 48 hours or 36 hours or something i can't remember exactly now which is the worst scenario that nato can think up uh, in all its exercises, it, it gives itself three weeks to mobilise. Right. Well, if yeah. the Soviets attack in Wishful. Yeah. 24, 48 hours, you have no uh, mobilisation of the reserves, you have no logistical support for the troops that are already in Germany. All the uh, war maintenance reserves, the ammunition, the kit, the transport, the spares, it's all still locked up in warehouses that are probably being bombed as you go to unlock them as far as the british army goes that's it it's all over you don't you don't have to think beyond the 48 hours that's your lot it's done whilst they're trying to put a really brave face on it uh 
it, they've picked the worst scenario to choose from. Mm. Uh, and perhaps that's because I know too much about it. If, if, if you're a, uh, yeah. an infantryman, mm. you don't have any of that knowledge. No, that's as far true. as you're concerned, you have got the best equipment and mm. the best training. And there will be tens or hundreds of thousands of other troops to help you out when, in fact, none of that is going to happen. To be devil's advocate, I think it's his greatest strength because as well, because it can just but completely balls to the wall just show you how well the British Army are going to react. And You've this got is fantastic. Six, 66 mil laws and a GPMG. Yeah. You're going to be absolutely yeah. fine. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you were, I guess if you were a reservist and you saw this, it would it would make you feel better as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it made me feel yeah, oh gosh, yeah. and all of that. And I was, <laughs> yeah. you know, sitting in my living room watching it on my big TV. So yeah. I couldn't be any further mm. from the reality of war and at the end of it, where he's saying, you know, you've got the best training and, and you're up against conscripts. Yeah. Go, that's boys. Because yeah. Yeah, that's because it just it whenever it can, it takes a little slight at the Soviet army. Whenever <laughs> yeah. it can, you know, it's like this is all he knows. He's been in the army two years, maybe. Yeah. More, but he doesn't know anything more than that. You know, you are far better trained, you know, yeah. and it doesn't you know, might not mention that you're down the naffy the night before pissed out your mind. <laughs> Yeah, you can you can save um, Western civilization with a seven point six two rifle and a cup of tea. That, yeah, it's that sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, uh, we should probably mention the actor Edward Judd was the narrator um, for mm. uh, Soviet Encounter, and he was uh, probably best well known from his role in uh, The Day the Earth Caught Fire, which is another Cold War movie. So that's quite a nice connection. Oh, I thought no, I recognised cool. his voice. Mm, yeah, and he did nice. a lot of uh, like think road safety adverts. He's quite a well, yeah, yeah. quite a prominent voice actor in his day too. So yes. that finally puts a voice to the uh, a name to the voice, which is quite nice. I wish we knew who the narrator for Fighting on Woods, Fighting in Woods was, because yeah, I, we, I mean, it. I tried to, I tried to find oh. out. And but he no... pops up in a couple of others. He does. He's Demolition Guard. That's um, it. Yeah, and in a, in a few others, and he's he, he has that you know quite noticeable. Mm. clipped very on point style where he's just like very like it's like he's sat next to you telling you like yeah we're going to get these Soviets don't worry <laughs> you know well, if anyone I mean? knows please please let us know I mean one thing we can mention just before we move on from um, Soviet encounter is production wise I think it's really interesting that they incorporate a lot of uh, stock footage which is really interesting which yeah they do a little bit of that in fighting in woods but with Soviet encounter it's much more look at this artillery and then it's a it's a slightly dated by that point like 60s 70s clip of some uh, like I, i'm not a soviet artillery expert but it's it's field artillery hmm. and then some clips of migs going over and, and that sort of thing Behind. yeah yeah and it's those little you get a little bit of an inclination of jesus the soviets have a lot of stuff you know mm. which you don't really get with some of the others where it's, it's just like it's fine it's it's just going to be one apc coming up a, a narrow road <laughs> yeah the production value on both of them actually is is really impressive it feels it would have been interesting to find a budget it feels very high and probably the budget wasn't that big yeah, yeah. i god knows i mean with it being the mod i can't imagine it being big money but mm. the, you, you know there's some pyrotechnics have gone into this most definitely and we've got uh with fighting in woods we're lucky enough to, to know um, you know, some of the production crew, because it gives it in, in the uh, credits at the end. And 
the director is Rene um, Basilico, who did stuff um, throughout the 50s through to the, the 90s, I think. And he did a lot of public service videos and training videos. And he did um, The Hole in the Ground, which you might have seen, which is um, the 1962 public service movie about the uh, Royal Observer Corps. Um, and it's the doctor goes into the bunker and he's like, oh, this is all very impressive. And then the the, the box on the wall goes off and all hell breaks loose and it's it's World War III. Um, and that's a really well-made film. So he worked on on that one, I believe. Cracking film, that. Production-wise, I think they definitely punch above their weight, which is hopefully what the British Army on the Rhine would have done. <laughs> and I think that's, as well, before we go on to Ali Tali, I think that's why they hold up so well, is because... They Absolutely. look really good. Mm. You know, if there's there's war films at the time who I bet have like triple the budget, maybe you know, ten times the budget of, of these movies. Well, they haven't got anyone worse. somersaulting. No, they don't have any, they any somersaulting them. Yeah, no, they don't. Yeah. You know, they don't Brilliant have like, an acting from the Soviet soldiers. <laughs> yeah, you know, they don't have like yeah, an this, aging I mean, Cliff acting, When you yeah, oh, you hate Cliff Robinson so much. No, but like the thing, it. the thing is, when you look at all these guys, they're they're obviously the entire cast is is serving soldiers but they all do it fairly well like the there's a the the young uh, subaltern who commands the platoon you know it's it's as awkward as you would feel an o over yeah. briefing would be with a rupert just chatting to these lads and they're all like yes sir yes, he stutters okay. his lines doesn't he as well he can't remember he does a little bit yeah. going where but i think that adds to the the charmingness of the movie well, it feels it feels realistic and it it's not sort of yeah. like they're not looking at the camera and going and now we're going to attack on this position which yeah. is sort of a, something you you sometimes see in some world war ii training films yeah they've given them the right direction to get like a, a fairly authentic um performance i thought i think mm. the the different troops revert to type though because the engineers get to blow stuff up <laughs> You know, you leave an engineer in a field for five minutes and then blow something to pieces. <laughs> he no, does take just... down that very thin tree, doesn't he? <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. That tree is very yeah, thin. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that tree needed a fell in charge on it. Right? I think <laughs> just you could have done that with an explosive. Did it take? Yeah. Please, Sarge. Please, please let me give it a fell in charge. Please. <laughs> But the other thing I noticed was the, I don't know whether they were stock issue, but there were some fantastic moustaches. Oh, they were great, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. Thank God they weren't wearing the full NBC suits. We wouldn't have seen them. <laughs> well, that does take us into the alley tally, doesn't it? 
It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. So, as every week, we love to delve into the kit and the weapons. And the, I mean, this week it's you know it's chock, absolutely chock full again. Kenton, is there anything you'd like to point out first as our guest? You get the first pick. Again, there's two things, if I might be so bold. Of course. Um, uh, one was the FE432 with the peak turret. Yeah. Which I was really pleased but surprised to see as well. I know there were plans to have them two in every uh, platoon or, or something like that, and, that they were going to put turrets on the 432s, but I think it ended up them just going over to the Berlin Brigade. Yeah, um, yeah, the Fox Armoured Car or Scimitar turrets, I think, aren't they? Or yeah. something similar. Yeah. yeah. And and the other thing was that um, all of the Soviet troops were in BTR-60s mm. and had to get out the top, and this, they yeah. kept going on about that. Uh, but there, were, there was only one BMP-1 in both films. I was really disappointed about that. Mm. I don't suppose mm. they, they, there were enough captured BMP-1s left over from the Yom Kippur War for them to be able to ship 50 of them over and do a full regimental attack. But, yeah, those are the two standouts for me, lots of lots of other sort of anti-tank weapons and bits mm. and pieces. But, it, yeah, the peak and the BTR-60. Yeah, nice, aren't they? It's, it's impressive. Obviously, the stock footage again of um, T-55s, no, it's T-72s in T-72, there, isn't it? Yeah. In, in Soviet encounter by the 80s, T-55 would have been second line wouldn't it by that point um but yeah they use chieftains and they've i, I love how they've taken bits off of the chieftains yeah, fighting in woods the gray chieftains. yeah yeah, yeah, they've, yeah they've painted a little little red star on, this, red on the, star on the on turret it, yeah. of the of the chieftain and taken off some of the thermal skirting and gives the... it away because they've got 50 cows on the <laughs> turret well they? i i yeah because i was looking at that and i was like rob what is that is that is that a chieftain because it it just didn't look right and i was like it's mantleless, so it, yeah, so it must be. <laughs> it's just, I just really like that they've taken off the the smoke grenade discharges and the side skirts just to make mm. them look a little bit different. See, I think I think it's differently because I think some poor RTR chap just got given a big barrel of grey paint. It was like, right, lads, you've got to paint up these chieftains today. Some poor fella just grey washing a chieftain. Yeah, I don't know whether it was the definition on the video, but the red star isn't very neat. It's not, is it? Though? On the tour, is it? When it goes past, it's like, oh. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that, I mean, yeah, the, the the vehicle stuff in this is great. I, in, they might only have you know one BMP and uh, and some BTR sixties, like two max. I think you see mm. the whole thing, but yeah, they do like mentioning that they're having to get out out the top of the BTRs. Yeah, and that's when that's when they're um at their most vulnerable. It is it is a design flaw, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, bit of a drawback. Yeah, yeah. There's that bit in um, Fighting in Woods where they do get out of the BMP and they get absolutely mullered by GPMG, didn't they, as they get out? <laughs> That's what you get for reversing into, a, uh, into an ambush. Why is the BMP's door facing that way? He goes over a mine, I know that much. And that's the beauty of the pit that they've dug for the GPMG. So Yeah, it's true. Perfect positioning. Exactly. But in Soviet Encounter, not as many troops get mullered as they should because in Soviet Encounter, those men are clearly within killing range of that gpmg and all those men in the pits and they still were allowed to run on and i'm like well this hang on. this is it isn't it like with with soviet encounter it's they're defending a bit of a minefield and it's more open field than fighting in woods is yeah and it talks about how yet the kill count is less yeah, yeah. and it talks about um 
how Soviet tanks will come forward with flails. They'll knock out some of the um, uh, the mines and then APCs will get as close as they can and then they'll have to dismount. But the minefield will keep the APCs at, at arm's length. At distance. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and the, um, the plucky... Soviet conscript will have to charge through the minefield on his it's own. It's best case scenario, isn't it? All it is, isn't it? Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Even when they're bunched up going through the barbed wire, which I would have thought would have been perfect for the GPMG, only a couple of them fall over. In reality, you would have had a GPMG on a sustained fire mount and they would have yeah. had that zeroed and the beaten ground would have been in, they would have been able to dial in the beaten zone wherever they made the hole in, in the wire. Way too many of those Soviets got through that hole in the wire, I think. Just a bit. <laughs> But you needed that so that that you know that Soviet at the end could run up charging with his bayonet. Yeah, and and the the narrator could be like on a man to man basis. You need to find out how well you can kill Soviet troops. Did anyone else notice in a in Soviet encounter the lads in that that little like ruined of house that are sitting on the the GPMG with the tripod? They look so bloody bored. I couldn't <laughs> believe them, it. I thought one of them was falling asleep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, what's that, mate? Oh, you better give him another burst. Stay six hours of 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 terror and waiting, and then yeah, twenty minutes of emptying all four of your GPMG belts, and then you're dead. That's yes, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, I mean, it's got to be the amount of law eighties that we see get fired, and that is just just looks great. Absolutely love it. Every single shot is a kill shot. Yes, no one misses in this film. There's no glancing blows. What gets me more is that I don't know if any of you have seen the Bricksmiths documentary on um, on the BF, BS uh, YouTube channel, but there's a whole thing where the guy goes, oh, I was rooting around here because this is where the Soviets used to test their armour. And I came mm. across like a a block of armour off the off of a, Matt will know what, he, what the, it is. You know those little like square bits of armour they put on the turrets? Oh, yeah, the, the reactive stuff. Reactive stuff, mm. yeah, exactly. But in the both movies, that's never mentioned at all. You know, so no, no. it's it's quite interesting when you think about it. Is you know, is that before they know how that works, or is that before they know they can counter it? It's quite an interesting thought. I don't know if it's, you know. yeah. I mean, by eighty two, eighty three, I think reactive armor was a year or two away at that point. Mm, yeah, right. Um, obviously, but I th- I think we come back to this business about uh, the soldiers being given the best weapons. Well, of course, it knocks out Russian yes. tanks every time yeah. you pull the trigger. Bound mm. to. I mean, they're obviously they're overview videos and they don't talk about the capabilities of the individual no. weapons because they're covered in other videos and they're covered in training exercises and, 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 you know, actual training. But yeah, they don't really consider the fact that, you know, uh, law 80s and um, 66 mil laws have sort of limited range. It's 100 to 400 yards mm. With both of those really isn't it but this is why they made fighting in woods and fighting in villages because it's the environments that they think are the most likely to slow down um armored vehicles etc because they yes. historically they, do, they don't cope well in in that kind of terrain so it makes sense that they made fighting in woods and fighting in villages as specific videos to talk about those two environments and I think it reflects the, the environment across North Germany hmm. that you, you, you've got villages every, what is it, something like one or one and a half kilometres and, and vast areas of woodland. So you make the best of that. And the best of that is you Absolutely. soak up the attack, you slow them down, and you do that with pre- 
prodigious numbers of anti-tank weapons and artillery and mines, mines importantly. Um, I don't think get enough of enough coverage in, in either of the two. I know there yeah. are mines mentioned and bar yeah. mine, one yeah. bar mine is shown. Um, yeah. But, but they're shown as being sort of very, um, very uh, localized mm. in that they're, they're, they're funneling troops. They aren't area denial. Yeah. They're sort of, they're, they are the, the weapon that will stop them initially. They would have had to have seeded miles and miles of, of um, anti-tank and anti-personnel mines yeah. on the Northern Plains to actually, you know, deny that big open space. But that's Which, where the development of the artillery delivered uh, bomblets mm. it was recognized as as being a problem and the bar mine as well when you stick that on the back of an fe 432 the bar mine layer it's yeah. just like a little plow and it lays them automatically so you could you could put a fair number of mines down in a relatively short period of time do we see uh, the bar mine fe 432 that no but there's a bar mine shown Mm. It is in um oh, what is the other one it's in? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's in demo garden. They do a lot of sort of showing of the mines in that one, yeah. don't they? They they even show um firing out the um, anti-personnel mines yeah. as I well see. off one of those little launchers. Mm. Yeah, because um, they tried putting the the launchers for the bomblets um in the back of Starwarts as well. Right. Drive those up to the edge of the battlefield and just fire them off. Right. So it was certainly recognised as being a problem. Mm. How you mine a, a field in the face of a Soviet advance because you know that they're going to be moving quickly. While the, the films are showing a, a, almost a ponderous approach of the reconnaissance units of the enemy, the actual tactics and doctrine realised that they're going to be moving much faster than that, and you need something that drops hundreds of mines in their way really quickly. Yeah. So there's a bit of a clash there, I think. Mm. I did like seeing the the few guys in NBC suits. Even in both films, there's no mention of nukes at all, which I think is quite no. interesting in itself. Or chemical weapons of any type. Exactly. Um, but it's just nice to see. And I, I like 68 pattern DPM, so that's always nice to see, isn't it? It does look good. It's fantastic. <laughs> I did couldn't work out. Are some chaps in ankle parties or not? Or is that more of a 70s thing? I think so, yeah. Some of them, sure. I, I swear to God, I saw some clasps on some of them. Yeah. I didn't even take any notice of that. Oh, well, I, this I, is the kind of thing that Rob looks for. He loves that kind of thing. Yeah, I do, yeah. I've watched that, in preparation for this, I've watched that many um, British Army Cold War training films. They all kind of <laughs> meld into one. And I'm like, yeah, have I like... seen that in this film or have I seen that in another film? You kind of get, you get to know the era, don't you? Because it's like, if you've seen a 60s, 70s, they're in that olives, like combat smock thing. Mm. And then, it, you know, yeah. and then DPM, at least you can sort of narrow it down. Yeah. If we talk about the uniforms for a minute, it's such a, a good look. It's a strong look, isn't it? It is. You can pinpoint it immediately, like you say. For me, it has to be that we get Milan, Law 80, and the 66 mil laws as well. The ranges they're, they're showing, especially in Fighting in Woods, uh, are more than believable. Yes. Um, and I like the way that they mm. talk about uh, where to place the Milan launcher, which is um, a wide guided rather than just mm. a rocket anti-tank missile. Um, they talk about placing that in the back of the woods to sort of cover the possibility of the, the Soviets slipping around the edges of the woods, etc. Yes. 
but alongside those anti-tank weapons we get a copious amount of GPMG which is just yeah. the star of the film isn't it really that is the the weapon mm. that we see we see the most we see SLRs going yeah but it's the it's that mm. constant sort of bursts of of GPMG fire that that sort of characterize the battle scenes within both of these films they like punctuate moments don't they they, mm, they do yeah yeah so the narration is around those bursts in a, in a lot of instances and that's an interesting sort of like mm. stylistic choice perhaps or maybe it's just we can't talk we can't possibly talk over the gpmg you know but yeah <laughs> I, I just i find these films really fascinating because they give us a look at the best scenario kit that an infantry unit would have had at the period uh, that, i was gonna talk briefly about that uh, at risk of plugging my book again, I'm, I'm looking at one of one of the illustrations <laughs> for it uh, from a exercise in 1979, and the guy is a territorial radio operator, and he's wearing an NBC smock and olive trousers, a 44 pattern helmet, Ooh. and a nine millimeter L2 A3 Sterling. Very nice. And he's got a Larkspur. Beautiful radio so a, a real mashup of of kit this goes back to what we were all saying earlier about these soldiers uh, they're the mechanized tip of the spear but they make up a, a tiny percentage of the 110,000 soldiers that mm. would have been in place on mobilization the rest of them would have been in yeah. 44 pattern helmets and 58 pound webbing and we, we, we see mm. the perfect group almost mm. in the films definitely that perfect look that perfect feel isn't it yeah well it's the it's the ideal of what they should have had because you know they they bug out and they take like three laws with them that they haven't used and would you have had that <laughs> amount of of kit on you i don't know it's it's what would you have mm. been issued at that short notice i might that yeah they might have had that amount of of weaponry on the first or second day but after mm. that that's your lot yeah in in the real world yeah. you know that uh, and that's that's the bit that i i kind of focus on um so it's all very well having these great weapons but you have to have them in huge numbers you've got to be profligate with them and that costs a lot of money yeah I mean, speaking of Sterlings, mm. um, I was quite disappointed we don't get to see any in action. <laughs> no, you don't, do you? Don't no, see no, one. you don't at all. You see, um, there's um, there's a radio operator yeah. with one uh, who's in the O group meeting. He's just sat listening to the you know the the plan and that's one. And that's the it. NCOs have one. Yeah, I think so. There's a sergeant with one as well, yeah, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, um, which is a bit weird actually because yeah. yeah, yeah, you would think they would, he would have probably had an SLR. Because by by the eighties, like every, everyone's you know, like, well, kit when he sees it, man. That's he's nicked that. He's had that away. <laughs> yeah. Or somebody else gets it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I was I was a little bit disappointed. There was no uh, no one no one was having it large with the sterling. But that you know. Certainly. Maybe in fighting in villages, Matt. If we ever get to see that, maybe, maybe. I'm hoping I have it on order <laughs> from the uh, Imperial War Museum. So I'm hoping that's where the sterling comes into its own. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we the only thing we haven't really mentioned is um the weapons that the uh, the guys in Soviet encounter have and um, the, the actual yeah. Soviets themselves. And we, we get to see them quite clearly. And there's quite a plethora in there. There's 
There's um, RPG sevens, which obviously in um, we don't see it, but it, but in Fighting in Woods, that's what takes out the um, APC. In Fighting in Woods, I actually think he's using a law. Oh, is he really? Really? I looked at it blown up, and he clearly's not got the huge mm. RPG. So I think it's they're just using what they've got. But it's interesting, interesting little tidbit anyway. Um, but yeah, they've got a, an interesting mix of uh, RPK like machine guns um, and the AKs. Uh, some of them are Romanian. They're um, uh, MD sixty threes, which mm. have that characteristic uh, wooden front grip at the front. Oh wow! And that's why All when right. he's running at the end of the film towards the the camera. You can see he's holding on to the, the, the front, front grip, which there's only a couple of AKs yeah. at that period that would have had them. But yeah, it's, the, the, the uniforms are interesting. I don't know whether they were a little bit dated by the time this is being made. So they're, they're quite sort of plain khaki. Um, the, they strike me as being more 60s, 70s era. It's not out of place. I know that seeing some footage of uh, Soviet troops in Afghanistan, they've mm. got that sand mm. type fatigue. Some of the guys that like they're wearing overalls as well. Yeah, so maybe there's sort of like tankers stuff in there, isn't there? It's kind of hinting yeah. at being tankers. There's a couple of guys in Fighting in Woods who I think they're all wearing overalls when they climb out the top of that B, um, BTR. Um, mm. And one of them sort of like slumps over when he gets gets shot as he's trying to debuff at the top of the vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Some have got that classic brown, mm. like World War II type jacket and, and Jodper style trousers, isn't it? Yeah, Soviet Encounter has one, P, uh, one PKM. This is the question. Like some of the kit they would have obviously um, had in training units and, and stuff. Um, some of the stuff was definitely in the British Army's um, School of Infantry collection because there's uh, in '79 there's a there's a good I think it's '79 there's a good um, Warsaw Pact small arms and light weapons video made, which is also on YouTube. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, where they talk mm. through lots of the different weapons and show them firing it, et cetera. So like a familiarization video. Um, I, I looked in vain yeah. to try and work out where they would have, you know, gotten some of the uniforms and stuff, but um, I'm wondering whether it, it was uh, stuff they had for, you know, op force training units, that sort of thing um, that was, that was pressed into, into use or perhaps something the production company managed to get their hands on uniform wise, but it does, it, it does, um, get across the feel of Soviet troops. It mm. it feels authentic. It doesn't feel like they've just mocked up some guys and given them whatever they could, you know, scrounge together. Yeah. It feels quite authentic. I think it gives a good impression when they're when they're breaking through the barbed wire of you know dozens and dozens of these soldiers coming at you. And when mm. you see it from within yeah. the GPMG bunker yeah. and they're shooting directly at them. And you begin to get that sense of what happens when the, the steamroller gets really, really close. Mm. There may only be half a dozen of them, but they're half a dozen angry people with guns. So yeah. the Soviet conscript <laughs> only knows how to go forward. Well, of course. Yes. <laughs> As the narration says. Yeah. Don't underestimate him. No, never. With your superior training and skills, what you must know is how to stop him. That's it. That's the, at some point in this episode, we are going to read out the full Soviet encounter. <laughs> um, but yeah, is there anything else that, that you guys thought was interesting for the Ali Thai? No, I don't really know. I just really, I really appreciate seeing the anti-tank weapons, although they were probably a little bit optimistic in how accurate and you know their kill ratio, so to speak, was. But yeah, I, I yeah. thought it was I thought it was really interesting that they 
they managed to show all of these different elements of what the the infantry platoon was equipped with. Um, in some in some of the other training films, they they have Carl uh, uh, Gustavs, but yeah. obviously with this being 83, 82, 84, they're showing what is going to be you know more used down the line. No SA80s as yet because. We don't see those in training films until I think about 85, 86. No. But it is a, a, the perfect image. Yeah. They're all in, uh, they're, they're all mechanized. They're, they've all got kit. All the kit works. You know, it, it, yes. it is a perfect scenario. And it, yeah, that's what you would expect for a training film. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the only failing in, in, the, in the whole sort of the two films is that um fp432 that gets stuck on the log and, and knocked out and that is shown That's as it. being yeah. it's very much soviet artillery has knocked this tree down and yeah. your escape route that you'd pre-planned has been blocked yeah and it's it's a very much it's sort of like yeah. a, a teaching moment in which they're saying you should be able to adapt and you should have multiple routes that you will go by and don't panic it's all very much in that training yeah. sort of mindset of we need to instill you know a little bit of um th free thought into you know the escape routes etc and, and and tactical movement it's the flexibility isn't it what they're mm. trying to get across to the to the soldiers is you may want to have your armored personnel carrier right next to you because that's safe mm. but it's not a good idea it's too close um, so so you get in this idea of to be safer, you actually have to make yourself a little bit more vulnerable in the mm. short term. Um, but then again, I still reckon the driver, if it had gunned that, had got away. Yeah, he, he didn't try very hard. I thought that. He was a very gingerly trying to get well, over the, it, the narration it? over that point is is quite good. It's the parking ticket line that Rob mentioned. It's, he says, <laughs> that's why APC shouldn't park too close to the ambush position. You could end up with more than a parking ticket. At that moment, mm. the, the RPG rocket hits, and they linger on the shot just a little bit for you to think, yeah. "Oh shit, there are lads in there." And I thought, and that's quite admirable because they don't do it in Soviet encounter. And I think maybe they could have shown a couple of lads being hit just to maybe ramp the tension yeah. a little bit more, perhaps. Well, but that would, I think, that would detract from the whole idea that the the better trained, better equipped, yes, yeah. soldiers win. But I, of course, I, I did notice that after the um apc gets hit after the fv432 gets hit they cut to another shot um immediately afterwards and the fv432 that has survived does almost does a handbrake turn as it comes to a halt yes so you get that sense of urgency that actually we're, yeah. we're moving quite quickly mm. Um, so I think that probably brings us on to final thoughts. But I was going to I was going to ask Kenton a, a question mm. to lead us in. Um, do you think, uh, from your research, obviously from writing your book, um, we're very excited to read. Um, do you think these films accurately show the strengths and the weaknesses of the BAOR at that time? I think they portray the the perfect unit. They portray what the army wanted to be and hoped to be but this kit is 
fantastically expensive so you can only give it to a few picked units mm. and only the units that you think are going to be on the receiving end of the worst the enemy has so i think it's very optimistic naturally because it's a training film but it is incredibly optimistic in terms of how the kit is distributed how the troops are equipped it doesn't reflect the reality i don't think and i'm happy to be um proved wrong but i don't think it reflects the reality of the vast majority of troops that were stationed in germany um because things changed so often you went from field force back to divisions and they were trying out different ways of equipping the armored personnel carriers with this, this that and the other and there was no real stability uh, and and add that to the constant cuts in the defense budget and what you end up with are a, a, a bunch of troops soldiers sailors aircrew doing their best with a with very much a can-do attitude but without the kit that they need to do their job so very optimistic i think is is the best way of describing yeah. it optimistic in the best possible way but gives the wrong impression you can very much see from the fact that it's that their purposes as training films why they've done that yes absolutely yeah, and, and that's yeah. why I'm, I'm i'm choosing my words very carefully this doesn't detract either from uh the personnel that were involved or definitely yeah the drivers and and mm. the, the soldiers whatever they were doing what they thought was the right thing they just weren't equipped properly and if if there's a finger to point it gets pointed at westminster and mm. or, or the mod both probably for failing to provide them with what they needed the only film i can think of that does show sort of failings is um is demolition guard where it shows um you know the bridge being sabotaged mm -hmm. um and and certain aspects of that where they they you know they they face sort of small factors that they don't expect sort of thing and then but at the end of the end of that yeah. it, the, the outcome is still you know it's a positive the bridge gets destroyed it's mission successful um but as you say it's it's not the frontline troops that are being portrayed in the in these films it's the the stockpiles the the logistics the the funding that goes into um maintaining these it's these all front end which it? would feed these delayed actions but i, I think if you look yeah. at, at any uh non-military viewpoint the narratives for example from general hackett's book third world war mm. um the yeah. only way the west wins is because the eastern forces dissolve and the british provide an extra army corps but the battle goes on for i don't know two weeks well the army was utterly incapable of doing that two days maybe but two weeks never so there's this this narrative there that well wow. it will all be fine because we can fight our way through but actually we can't because we don't have anything to fight with absolutely fascinating that's it i think isn't it that's, that's yeah, the crux absolutely. of it yeah but then to sort of bring us back to mm. sort of film aspect of it i mean as a i mean i'm not a military man from my background at all you know i come from 
know, I was an, I trained to be an actor at university and stuff. But from a narrative point of view, from a, from a viewpoint, from a viewer, these movies are just fa- they're fantastic little insights oh, yeah. into you know not only you know how warfare was fought back then, but sort of how an army works. Yes. So you know if you're not you know if you're a dear listener, if you're not versed in how you defend a wood, if you're not versed in how an army prepares its soldiers to fight um, within its with its own media then these movies are fantastic. And if you have any passing interest in the 80s and the Cold War, all these British Army training films, even the American ones, there are a few Soviet ones um, floating around. They're just a fantastic little glimpse into a war that never happened. For me, that's why I enjoy them so much. It's that whole what-if aspect of it. And these movies are the only few pieces of media that give you that little glimpse in. I know there's Chieftains that was written um, by an ex-tank commander. There's obviously... Hackett's Third World War, but there aren't many proper narrative movies that deal with it. And if they do deal with it, it's tacked onto a yes. nuclear warfare. Yeah. So it's almost like the missing, like Cold War What If movie, but they're all just hidden in SSVC films. You yeah. Know? Well, yeah, and and I think that the training films do what they're meant to do. But for us looking yes. back at it, with a certain amount of nostalgia, I mean, I. I play war games i've done um, cold war war games you can take the information that you learn from these videos and apply it directly to the war games table and very often it works and it works just how they tell you it will do uh, so long as you're not playing someone who's also watched the films you're okay <laughs> yeah so basically if you're if you're in a war game and you're facing off against a baor detachment just buy as many tanks as you can and you're going to win yeah either that or <laughs> artillery and just plaster the place yeah pound the place yeah yeah Great. yeah yeah I, when you Brilliant. when you're watching these films you have to sort of you have to suspend a little bit of logical thought don't you when you when you think about it from the, the soviet perspective you would obviously you would layer in some artillery support you would be pushing a lot more troops into those areas mm. and to be fair to the films they do say that you know, once that vanguard and the, the the leading companies sort of like halted, they probably would push like the full battalion straight into the wood. Um, yeah. But this is where this is where the films end, and what your research shows, they don't show that. They don't show the fact that after that initial attack, there's going to be battalion-sized, regimental, brigade-sized elements pushing into these stop areas, and they're going to steamroll through because. Yes they aren't showing the films aren't showing these company sized combat teams just being completely overwhelmed by a numbers mm. and you know b they they're going to run out of ammunition eventually uh, mm. because yes they're in woodland or they're in a village that's great but how are the royal army ordnance corps royal logistics corps going to resupply these men when soviet air power and artillery are you know doing yes. route denial that kind of thing brave men in bedford m4s coming up <laughs> yeah some some plucky lads in in um, number three helmets and, and brave boys in their over there. <laughs> full of milan rounds coming to save you don't, don't worry, worry we've got plenty more law 80s on the back of this wonder how many law 80s you can fit onto the back of a bedford oh that's, that'd be a fun quick lads before the hinds spot us you know it's like <laughs> <laughs> oh so i think yeah i think on that note that might bring us to the end of this of this one matt what do you think it's been really fascinating to to look at them as films but also appreciate the context they were they were made in and the audience they were made for yeah 
they do give us some real interesting insight into sort of the tactics that they would have implemented and you know the, the capabilities that the british army had in the early 80s so they're really cool it's just they're just aesthetically really cool and, great and fun to watch they're just i mean obviously it's a niche audience um but i just yes. find them really fascinating to sort of watch a few a couple of them and, and yeah. see how they fit in with one another and, they become... and what they have to say about how things yeah would have been approached you know in, in like in a defensive posture it's just they're just really interesting little pieces of sort of primary history on the, in their own right. I mean, maybe me and Matt are this we're going to probably be maybe the only two people that I say this about, but they become really addictive <laughs> because you want to know, like, not only you know you want to know, oh, okay, they defend they defended a wood. How are they yeah. going to defend a street? How are they going to defend a city? You know, you get like really sort of into it because of for me at least, as I mentioned earlier, it's that what if thing. Yes, and it and it's sort it just becomes so interesting and it's. And just for me, like learning how the British Army change and how the, the kit changes, but just how tactics work, things like that. There's so much to pick out and enjoy from these movies. Well, I'm with you. They've become massively addictive. Um, yeah. And every time I turn a new one up off YouTube, that's it. That's me for half an hour. I'll maybe watch it till three times. So um, Same it's as me terrible. I, yeah. I lose afternoon. Go, is that is that is that 68 pattern Rob? Is that oh look, he's got a GPMG. <laughs> look, you know, it's just Ankle putties at two minutes thirty-one. You know, it's sort of like that. <laughs> Ken, you, meant, you mentioned the four three two with the uh, the turret on. I was like, Rob, yeah. that's turreted. I had noticed that before, and I only noticed that when I watched it back yesterday in preparation yeah. for this. It's the joy of really like good, sort of picking them apart and being a bit anarchy about it, isn't it? I suppose. But it's also a good reason to watch them over and over again because you can see new things each time. And well, that's my excuse. That's what I tell the wife anyway. <laughs> feeding into that sort of addiction we found out that there is a companion film to this called fighting in villages which isn't available anywhere on online because uh, luckily some of them are a lot of them are now on youtube but if you go through the imperial war museum sort of like catalog of what was made by the skc and the svc there are literally pages and pages and pages of right of these films that haven't been sort of shared online yet um so we we uh, we used some Foff Patreon funding, thank you guys, to order uh, Fighting in Villages, which Rob, I, I, I mentioned it to Rob and, and Rob said, if it's if it's a reasonable price, you know, we should just order it because I want to see it. And I was, I was very much on board mm. with that. <laughs> so we've gotten that ordered. So watch this space for a, me and Matt will do a follow-up episode if we get that within a few weeks. So I think that'd be real fun. I, I'm excited to see how the British Army on the Rhine would have held them off in a village. Law 80s from the top. Well, of I'm expecting Roos. to see like lots of sort of the stuff <laughs> that was learnt during World War II. So they would uh, build sangers inside the bottom of buildings and sandbag doors. Fibula for, for the 80s. It is. That's exactly it. And, you know, putting um, planks with nails in. You just want a Soviet trooper to get a chest full yeah. of nine mil from a sterling, don't you? That's what you want. I do. I do. <laughs> and I, I just want to see like um, 80s British Army on the Rhine home alone. That's what I'm hoping for. Thanks so much, uh, Kenton, for joining us. And of course, as we've said all the way through, if you're in any way interested in this period of, of the British Army, then Kenton's book will be the one for you. Be out by the end of the month. So keep an eye out for that. Um, and we'll we'll put a link up when it does go live. So Kenton, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, guys. I, I've been looking forward to doing this episode for such a long time. So I was so pleased that we finally yeah. got it together and, and it's just, it's been as good as I'd hoped it would be. I really enjoyed it. 
So as always, uh, don't forget to like, share, subscribe to the podcast, uh, give us a review on whatever you're listening on, and you can support us on Patreon as well. Um, and you find all those links on our Twitter and our website at fightingonfilm.com. So thanks everyone again, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.